hey, I just finished reading First Enoch, and I really want to talk about it. So do you want to have that conversation? Dude, why are you always coming with this weird stuff? It's not in the Bible for a reason. Just get out of here. All right, welcome to Your Church Friends Podcast. I'm Chris. I'm Mirlich. So it's really been bothering me. This has been an off-air conversation that we had mm-hmm. for like two weeks now. The off-air conversation or the... And off-air where it's just like we were talking. Oh, I thought you meant that one that we recorded. No, 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 not that one. Uh, it was... Because that one was bugging me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, uh, where you stated that I might have lost my charismatic card. Oh, did I say that? Yeah, we were talking about it. We're like, I guess... I don't know if we're talking about worship or styles and just things. And I'm like, yeah, I don't do this or that. And he was like, man, you're not even that charismatic anymore. Mm. Like, what's wrong with you? But it just kind of bothered me. Because you stopped speaking in the heavenly language. I know. It just was like, what happened to me? It just like washed out of my life. And, but more of like the funny side of it. It was just like when we were laughing, thinking about it, like, man, yeah, I, I did change a lot of that stuff. Like, I actually went home, and this this is where it's like what I'm saying bothered me. It's just it was in my mind more than I thought it would be. I went home and I'm watering the yard, and you're like, "Shabam la <laughs> grow grass, grow." <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it was more of like, "Huh, how many years have I been in a Pentecostal church? How many years have I been in a Baptist church? Have I been in a Baptist church more than I've been in a Pentecostal church?" Mm. And even there was like points where. Uh, I was at a Pentecostal church, but it was after being at a Baptist church that I was just more Baptist by that point, mm. you know? And, and not to say, like, Baptist by, like, denominational beliefs. I agree with all Baptist philosophies, but just more of, like, style of service worship. I like the culture. Yeah, the culture. I think we were joking about, like, I don't have my flags <laughs> yeah, anymore. Yeah, you don't have your, like, spirit flags or <laughs> My spirit yeah. flags are all gone, and I don't run up and down the aisles. Um, I love those videos where they're like... <laughs> put some death metal <laughs> over a Pentecostal service. Yeah. And they're all running around, <laughs> like stomping, but it's just, yeah, yeah, those are fantastic. Yeah, so it was just like this thought in my head. So I, I wanted to just, I don't know if I'm, what I'm doing at this point, but I'm just very confused. <laughs> it took you this long, huh? Yeah, it took me this long. Yeah. I get what you mean, though, when you're talking about like, oh, how much of my life have I been doing a thing? Mm-hmm. Because I feel like there's a big section of my life that, I see leading up to around the time that I graduated high school. And with me, I think I turned 34 this year. So I think I turned 34. <laughs> I was confused. I thought I was turning 35, and then I think it was 34, and I don't know. I did that. Don't worry. It but happens. When I'm looking at, oh, yeah, high school ended for me when I was around 17. I'm like, that was half of my life ago. And that's a weird thing. Yeah. Especially because within my mind is like, okay, no, I know that that was a section was through high school. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a whole lot of stuff going on. I was like, and then there was my 20s, and I still feel like I'm somewhere mid-20s. So for me to be 10 years beyond that, even it's, it, it screws with me. When I'm like, oh, man, last time I was in Scotland, it's almost been half my life because I was there when I was 18. Wow. So that would be, I'm almost there. Yeah. So I need to go back. Yeah, you do. We do. We do. We do. That would be fun. Our church friends tour Scotland. Yeah. Yeah, we can go visit all the churches that aren't churches anymore. Oh, that would be fun. Yeah. We can be a nice bar or something to go yeah. to since you don't drink. <laughs> Give me a Look Diet at Coke. All of these uh, stained glass windows yeah. and pews. 
that this debauchery is happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Scotland, get it together. Uh, I, I, yeah, that's it. That's exactly where I, my mind was at with everything. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, see, and you're even looking at it between Baptist and uh, Pentecostal. Mm-hmm. But I know that just a lot of the stuff that we read and different stuff, it's like, okay, you're looking at N.T. Wright. That's a whole Anglican flavor mm-hmm. coming in there. Uh, we've got some Orthodox fathers in there. You know Which what I mean? I'll use today, quoting. And just the whole spectrum of mm-hmm. what's in there. So I can understand being like, where am I? Yeah. Who am I? Where, where do I fit in all this chaos of denomination belief? So now I guess this is my time to maybe... Get myself canceled for for something. I won't get canceled. Maybe we'll just be upset that one person that cares. But I might have said this on the podcast before, but I really don't think that the point for the church today Mm -hmm. is to get everybody to believe the same doctrine. Yeah. Because when I look at, there's differences between Anglican and Baptist Mm -hmm. and Pentecostal, and you know, there's differences there. And if I'm trying to go out there, like, you have to believe the Baptist thing, like, well, which Baptist thing? Because the Baptist thing of 2023 is not the Baptist thing of before. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, am I really going to be that bold as to say that all of the other Christians have been wrong for 2,000 years? Like, I just don't think that that's what it is. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to a lot of these, what do they call them? There's the, the two sets. These are like non-negotiable. And then these are open for like, discuss- yes. yeah, 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 whatever yeah, those yeah. things are. Yeah, non-negotiables yeah and i really feel like all those other points of comfort they're good and they're good to learn about mm-hmm. just like as we've learned about stuff we're like oh those are interesting ways of thinking so it's like great for discussion but i think that when we make them too much of defining lines then it just gets confusing because yeah. then you're like well where am i mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah i i think of an example from the bible and then we'll get rolling into enoch um and it's probably not the best example but <laughs> Uh, That's right. It's off the top of your head, which it makes is. it the best for now. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, but like the, the non-negotiables, like that commonality should always like circle around Jesus and who he is and who God mm-hmm. is, right? Um, and that's what should bring us together. And in the Bible, you actually see two groups who like don't see eye to eye on certain things come together because of Jesus. It was just that they were attacking Jesus, but it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Mm. Like these two groups who were like very separate in some of their stances and where they believed united to attack Jesus and like question and challenge him. So like if we, if they could do that, why can't we, the church who's like already united under Jesus? You want to talk about an even weirder team up. Then you have the Pharisees, Sadducees team up with the Roman government. Yeah. (laughs) Team up with the oppressors (laughs) to come against Jesus. So yeah. Yeah. So why can't we as a church do it? (laughs) If Jesus, that's, I need to think about, I'm going to say that. I was going to say, if Jesus can unite his enemies against him, yeah. which isn't the right phraseology. But yeah. Yeah. That, that was kind of the thought of like, if they could come together, why, why can't we just kind of set these... And you're right. Like, I, I've even noticed as I've, uh, the last year or two, uh, who's filtering in and who's filtering out. It's not really based off of like, well, they believe this denominational belief or that. It's more of like, oh, they've got a really good understanding of this, mm-hmm. this topic or mm-hmm. this thing. And I want to lean more into that. I think really, uh, again, uh, kind of praising uh, Michael Heiser and all his work, it was really that that helped me when he just constantly said, and it was as he went through Revelation, I'm not going to succumb to your denominational beliefs. Yeah. Uh, it was really that phrase. It was like, yeah, denominational beliefs. Like, what unites us? What separates us? And why are we standing or putting that flag so hard in there that it's like, like you said, that dividing line? That seems unnecessary. Yeah. 
So now I'm sitting here thinking, I'm really hoping NTRI Design Google can. Otherwise, that, <laughs> <laughs> my brain is always just like, yeah. am I making mistakes constantly while I'm talking? <laughs> but then when looking at that to where different people, how you're saying like, oh, really good in this area, in this area, right? I can look at someone like Paul Washer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> who's just like, go watch a shocking youth message, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to know who Paul Washer yeah. is, that's, that's a defining moment. That's how a lot of people get introduced to him. But like I've binged all of his books and like all of his sermons and stuff. And that was really defining for me in my early Christianity is like Paul Washer. But then I can look at someone like Dan Moeller, who, um, what's, what's his name? Uh, with the dreadlocks that likes to grow oh. people's legs. Todd White. Todd White, yes. I know Dan that. Moeller is Todd White's uh, like mentor. I'm fully not with Todd White. Yeah. But I love Dan Moeller. And I can't think of two people who are like really opposite ends of the mm-hmm. spectrum than Dan Moeller and Paul Washer. And I just really want them two to get together. <laughs> I'm like, I want them to sit down like me and you were yeah. sitting down. And like, can you guys just do a series? Just hash it all out? Yeah, just the season. You guys just yeah. sit down and go through it. Like, you, who knows? Like, maybe you both think that each other has it wrong and you're, you're both going to hell. Like, I don't know what it'll turn out to be. But just so like, can you appreciate? And I feel like at certain things, it's just how you hear that the gospel is like a diamond. Mm-hmm. I was like, where you turn it, the different facets, you find beauty in them. Mm-hmm. Right? It's that kind of thing. So I was like, yeah, you're just looking looking at it from there and you can see that thing. Yeah. Or even like what's important. Anyways, way off. Enoch. Yeah. Enoch. Yeah. Let's go. I totally lead, forgot we we're talking about that. Lead us into Enoch. Enoch. We're going over the third parable. Uh, so this is chapters 59 through 68, although uh, the parable section ends 70 and 71. Uh, but when we get to those chapters, I'll cover what those are. Uh so the second parable really focuses on the sinners and their watcher's punishment and what happens with them. Well, the third uh, parable, it, it even starts off like this. The subject is about the righteous. Which is weird because it starts off, I began to speak the third parable concerning mm-hmm. the righteous and elect. So it's like, cool, it's about the righteous and elect. But yet again, it comes yeah. down to like, all right, well, what's happening with the mm-hmm. unrighteous? So it kind of, uh, even though it's like about the righteous, the, the unrighteous, and even the the watchers again, mm-hmm. they kind of take that center stage. It, and it made me wonder as I was going through it if it was that uh, contrasting nature where like you you show why this is so good because you see why it was so bad. Yeah. And we kind of talked about it a little bit last time because the same thing mm-hmm. was happening there. And it's like so much of the righteous going through this temporal life, right? Mm-hmm. Towards like, well... As scripture would talk about, well, why do the oppressors and the greedy and stuff get away with so much? And like, when is there going to be righteousness? And there's different things or in Revelation where you, you get the martyrs that are crying out. So it's like really the thing concerning the righteous is their vindication mm. and the judgment. Mm-hmm. And how we even talking about day of the Lord is like, no, God's going to come and set it right. So it's like concerning the righteous and elect and their vindication and justification, like it kind of has to deal with making right the evils that they were up against both how you said the unrighteous and then bringing in the watchers too right Mm because as we were talking about this whole spiritual reality beyond it yeah and that's what we really see in this third parable that it's uh that god sent the flood specifically because the teaching of the watchers that corrupted humanity uh with violence greed and and death so like to exclude them from the punishment really excludes the reason why the punishment came in the first place like it they in enoch and I'm trying to think because I read it a while ago, so I'm trying to re- remember the different sections that we're still going to approach. Mm-hmm. But at least for the parable and the watchers, um, you can't have this story without what the watchers did. Right. And he hits it over and over mm-hmm. and over again. There's not one section, not one vision, not one thing 
that removes you from what the Watchers did. Even though each of these sections was written probably so many years apart, it's almost like uh, like the parables is kind of driving back home everything that was already established. Yeah. It's a really interesting. So this is like a second temple period writing, mm-hmm. right? And we even talked about it's kind of one of the earlier ones that really defined a lot of the stuff that was going on there. And I was listening to a podcast, and I can't tell you which one because I've been listening to podcasts on two times speed and just flying through them. Wow. Just like, I don't know. When I put something on normal speed now, I'm just like, why are you talking like that? <laughs> Anyways, so I don't know what it was. Yeah. It's all just melted together. My brain is melting. But he was talking about how the development of the reality of spiritual evils and how that defines what we know as Christians. Because if you look into the Old Testament, I think he was saying, how many people did Satan kill? Ten. Job. Like, that's it. Like, that's where that oh, yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, what about where do you get the devil popping up? It's like, well, you get Job and you get the garden. And there's really not much else that that's yeah. happening there. Then you have this second temple type piece that's really bringing in, no, there's the watchers and there's this and there's that, and it expands it. But by the time that you get into the New Testament, all of the New Testament writers attribute what's going on in the world to Satan. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all saying, nah, he's, this is the force behind it. So really, this pivotal kind of writing and idea work that's going on here taking the Genesis 6 story and expanding it out, it really was, as we've said before, it really shaped the worldview of the New Testament writers. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. So let's get into some of the chapters. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Uh, I got notes for almost every single chapter, so uh, wherever you bounce off, uh, I'll be there for that. But uh, chapter 58, go go for for it. it. (laughs) You said you have notes. (laughs) Well, I thought you had some. All right, I'll go for it. Uh, That was oddly weird. Uh, Jinx. Yeah. <laughs> I know you have a Coke over there somewhere. I probably do. And a Snickers. <laughs> yeah. And them both over. <laughs> it's what powers life. Uh, verse 3, uh, the eternal light, that phrasing there in verse 3 of 58, that, that's a phrase that's in there. But uh, a lot of my notes are like the phrases of the verses and then kind of the meaning behind them. Uh, with this phrase, this could mean uh, eternal life in the light of the sun of the new earth, or it could be a metaphorical everlasting life in God's presence. So it's talking about the righteous that they have uh, the the light of eternal life in them, um, and uh, from what I've studied and saw that it could be like the light of the sun on the new earth that's just like beaming down on them, mm. um, like good word imagery, you know. Like if you've ever gone out on a sunny day, especially like lately how it's been cold and now it's a little warmer here in California, uh, going outside and just basking in the sun, you feel it's Birds warm. Birds are chirping. Yeah, d- exactly yeah. that beautiful imagery of like, and this is the fullness of life moment. Um, uh, us in Southern California, yeah. it's been beautiful recently. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in the rest of the yeah, world, but over here, yeah. birds are chirping. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. fun. We're finally hitting spring. Bunnies are frolicking. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the other thing, it could be a metaphor, metaphorical for like the just that we have everlasting life in God's presence, that he's the sun giving us that everlasting life. And I, I really like the way that that was kind of painting a picture. And I don't know why, I'm just my brain so much is linking... I'm just constantly linking this back to Revelation, but in Revelation, doesn't it talk about that in that time, like there is going to be no more sun because of the light that's coming from God, mm-hmm. to paraphrase that? So it's almost like taking both of those things. You're in God's presence, but also like the light that's coming from him. Mm-hmm. It's like it's fulfilling both of those purposes that you just said. Yeah, so like verse 5 or verse 6 of 58 has uh, the darkness is past, and this is the verse you were talking about, Revelation 22, uh, where it talks about Eden being restored or New Jerusalem, depending on your translation. Uh, it's night will be no more and they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will shine on them 
and they will reign forever and ever. So I think that was the verse you were pulling on of mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's the idea is that we won't need those things because of God. And even where you said that, the imagery, right? Mm-hmm. So whether you're talking Revelation or Enoch, it's, it's imagery that we're supposed to pull these things yeah. from, which even when you went to the imagery, of, yes, basking in the thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's definitely what it's getting across. Yeah, and I like the way, uh, just reading through uh, Scott McKnight's book, The Revelation for the Rest of Us, mm-hmm. uh, that he puts a lot of emphasis on the idea that uh, Revelation is imagery, uh, but imagery where we use our imagination. Mm-hmm. Like, to, to use the imagination to actually understand these concepts a little deeper. So, Like those Apache helicopters. Yeah, well, not too far. <laughs> like, not that big of an imagination. <laughs> what else do you call in. horse-based <laughs> <laughs> yeah we don't need to go there no but yeah that, that's uh what i got for that chapter you got anything well you're saying that you had a few other f- phrases in there or was that the the main one that you're pulling those out? are the two yeah the darkness past i really like that and then uh the righteous yeah yeah we can keep moving from there again that's um oh wait i did have one more thing okay verse four they will seek the light i just when i was reading it on my own just that like they will seek the light and find righteousness and uh it just reminded me so much of the beatitude, those who hunger and thirst. I think we were talking about that last time. Yeah. yeah. For righteousness, they'll, they'll be satisfied. So uh, the righteous, they receive the light. They enjoy the new Eden in the sense because their life has been spent seeking the light. And uh, Jesus is the light of the world. So I think it's pulling all this together. Yeah. And that's how you said pulling all this together. Because we're talking revelation, then we're talking mm-hmm. beatitudes. and But when we're looking at what we've gone through within Enoch even, we have this apocalyptic, meaning like it's a revelation, right? It's revealing, but we've talked about that it's revealing the elect one, the righteous one, the son of man. Yeah. And then you have this judgment happening, and we've talked about like, yes, the elect one is Jesus, and then you have the judgment, and then you have, well, here's concerning the righteous. So it makes sense that it would line up with Jesus saying, hey, you're going to hunger and thirst, and you're going to seek, and you're going to find it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, here is the culmination of that. You're like, you're here. You found it. Mm-hmm. so i think that's where i was just going to say i like this section just like i've mentioned so many other times because it's like ah yes this is the goodness here's a vision of the goodness of which we all yearn for that we're all going towards where we say here on this earth we are sojourners and foreigners and we're heading towards this yeah. thing so that's where i like sections like this where it's like ah it's a glimpse literally of heaven yeah <laughs> right so yeah and it's uh if looking at it being written second temple it's kind of uh, the author hitting the same beats almost of like the glimpse of what Eden was, what going into the promised mm-hmm. land was. It was, oh, wow, these epic moments in people's lives. Like entering a new chapter in your life always just seems so like, this is what I was seeking after, and I finally entered into it. Um, they seemed altering, you know, for us as people that were seeking God, seeking, 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 and then it's like, I've stepped into his presence. This is what it was supposed to feel like. That, that picture it's painting is just, it's a nice one. Yeah. I mean, they're seeking the light and find righteousness Mm -hmm. with the Lord of Spirits. So again, like you you can't separate those two. Mm -hmm. It's like, where is the righteousness found? With the Lord of Spirits. Yeah. And that's where you're going to find it. And think that that's even in that seeking. And I can keep going on that, but let's get into chapter 59 because chapter 59 is huge. Yes, it is. It's three verses. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was like, wait, no, that's 60 that's long. And then the rest of them, like there's some long chapters in this, this parable section. Yeah, this is just another one of those things like, okay, you're putting it in here. In those days, I saw the secrets of lightning and of lights and the judgments that they execute. They lighten for a blessing or a curse as the Lord of Spirits wills. 
and the secrets of the thunder, and when it resounds above in heaven, the sound thereof is heard, and he caused me to see judgments executed on the earth, whether they be for well-being and blessing or for a curse, according to the Lord of Spirits, word of the Lord of Spirits. And after that, all the secrets of the light and lightnings were shown to me, and they lightened for blessing and for satisfying. Like, that is weird, Enoch. Mm -hmm. And it comes back to, I think I was talking about it before, in regard to some of the imagery that's going on here. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, you're talking about the light and the lightnings and the thunders, and you're relating these things to judgments on the earth and bringing, so it's just like, I'm not well-versed enough even when i was looking through stuff it just wasn't one of those things like i'm gonna spend a lot of time looking into why this imagery mm-hmm. relates to this thing it's just if i can get enough like okay so the image for like lightning coming from heaven to earth is the same way that like judgment comes from heaven to earth and that judgment coming from heaven to earth can bring what would be a blessing down mm-hmm. or it can be what would be viewed as a curse down or like violence down um so that's kind of what I was drawing. I don't know if you got more of like, well, yeah, here's I, I, why lightning or here's what was. I was thinking the same thing too, because it made me think of, a, as I was reading it, like Zeus. Mm-hmm. They're like, the, you know, the concept of Zeus would be when he was angry, he would cast his lightning right. down and that was his divine judgment. So it seems like uh, even in uh, ancient ideas of uh, pagan gods. And, I think you'd have Zeus and Baal, kind yeah, of the storm god type, type imagery. They, uh, uh, their judgment is lightning. Mm-hmm. And, and again, with, you know, uh, books that are more about God, it's almost correcting that, that the lightning, yeah, it is judgment. Uh, but like you said, it could be either judgment for good or bad. So there's like a lot of divine judgment in it. Um, they call it a polemic, right? Oh, I have no idea. I think that's what they call a polemic to where they're taking the thing that was like incorrect from the other culture mm. and it's like, all right, you kind of got the idea, but let me correct that yeah. for you. I think that's polemic. I, I did have this, though, uh, that Matthew Black, he suggested, and he has a book just called The Book of Enoch, uh, but he suggested that First Enoch 59 draws from Job 36 mm-hmm. uh, through 37 and 38, where it's a, uh, I'll read a little bit of it. It said, see how he scattered his lightning about him. Uh, he covered the depths of the sea. It is by these that he judged the nations and supplies food in abundance. So then again, there's this idea, right, of the lightning's coming when it was, uh, he judged the nations but also supplies food in abundance. So uh, there's that two hand. And, and there's more in it with, if you read those two sections of scripture, the 36, uh, 30 through 37, uh, 5, and then there's 38, 24 through 27 in Job. But Job hits the same concept of divine judgment through the lightning yeah. and the thunder. <laughs> Stupid song. <laughs> you did that on purpose. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> there's something about the way that you said it is immediately triggered in my mind. Um, uh, Reed loves that song. <laughs> but... Looking at it, again, just to pull through, like you, you brought out a thing about the storm gods, right? Mm-hmm. So this is imagery, storm gods, and you're relating that down and looking at the lightning coming down as judgment. You had ancient peoples taking things they could see, just like Enoch talks a lot about like, well, I saw the stars and how they moved and I saw the winds and how those things happened. So it's taking these natural things that we see and then seeing the spiritual truths behind it. Yeah. I'm almost 100% convinced that Enoch isn't saying, when lightning touches down, that is a curse from God. That's not what he's saying. Think, think a little more. Use that imagination yeah. that you were talking about, right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think we've uh, exhausted those. Well, exhausted those three verses. Three which verses. I could say that out of anything in First Enoch, I'm real confident on chapter fifty nine. <laughs> Look, I think we did great yeah, on that. Even that for one. what I didn't really get, I still feel like that's the one I was most confident. 
<laughs> All right, 60 will be way more fun. Uh, 60 is way more fun, actually. So there's a lot of issues with 60. Yeah, like things out of place and whatnot, yeah. is that what we're talking about? Yeah, so it starts off with, in the 500th year in the life of Enoch, and you're like, wait, what now? I just read Genesis 5.32, and it said Enoch lived 365 years. So there's obviously something wrong here. Uh, a lot of the commentaries I read said that there was some sort of like cor- corruption in they, they mention this a lot in like some of the words, especially when it comes to the watchers' names, mm-hmm. that the lettering might be off from what was translated from Ethiopian, from the Greek and the Aramaic yeah. that we just don't have. Because that's even when between the translations that you and I have mm-hmm. been using. Yeah, like yeah. Like all the names and stuff. Some have of been them different, are slightly yeah. different. Yeah. Uh, so again, obviously it's wrong. The consensus is that it should be Noah, that it should be read as Noah, not Enoch. Uh, verse eight of 60 has, uh, when my grandfather was taken up the seventh from Adam. Um, so as we covered, that was Noah was the seventh from Adam, not Enoch. Uh, Matthew Black again said, if we substitute Noah for Enoch, we restore something of the original Noah apocalypse. So, Mm -hmm. uh, he, he says that looking at this through the lens of it being Noah, it's more of like, so when God spoke to Noah and said, this is going to happen, it, it puts more depth into just that, like the judgment of the world. Like there was this back and forth almost like a vision of Noah's in a sense. Um, Which makes sense, because if you think about Noah, just like, oh, God just talked to him, and like, build this boat. Mm-hmm. Like, it's kind of like, yes, just like you have God talking to any other person in the Bible, there seems to be a, a lot more, oh, it's a vision, or he came down to visit Abraham, or, you know, mm-hmm. any of these things, even when you get to the later prophets and whatnot, it's a bit more. seems like Noah is just like, no, God just told me a thing. Yeah. So getting a bit more to that, like, yeah, a vision or what that looks like, is like, mm-hmm. okay, it kind of brings it in line with, other situations that we see yeah and, and if i'm correct apocalypse doesn't necessarily mean end times it's just a revelation a it's revelation. revealing it's revealing something and i think uh even if i were to say like the no apocalypse people are like what what the end times and i mean in a sense it was an end time moment for his generation uh but it, it was just yeah, a revelation it's a revealing of something it's pulling back so people could see picture you're at a car show and there's this car, everybody's crowded around it. It's covered in the big black sheet, right? And mm-hmm. I was like, what is this thing? Oh my gosh. And they start pulling back the sheet, right? And as you're pulling it back, it's the revelation of the car that's there. Like that's the apocalypse. It's the pulling back mm. of what's been hiding mm-hmm. in order to see what's there. And that's so when there's an apocalypse coming from God, he's pulling back to reveal something about himself and about the reality. That was also just off the top of my head. I've never even been to a car show. <laughs> that was a really good example, yeah, though. I got exactly what you're saying. Instagram videos are yeah. fantastic. I was like, yeah, what kind of car is that? Like, I'm not even that into cars. So there you go. I'm learning more about myself every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's what's happening. Yeah. Could be what's happening as long as that's actually Noah. Yeah. Yeah. Which honestly, when I look at it, that makes the most sense given what's written. Yeah. There's way smarter people than me that are saying it. So I'm just going to jump on their boat and go with I'm, them. Sometimes I'm an idiot. <laughs> we'll contradict the smart people. They're like, yeah, they put way more effort into it. Let but I have just... a gut feeling. <laughs> I've got a gut feeling they're wrong. <laughs> Question everything. Uh, there's some uh, quaking and violence, uh, shaking parallels, uh, the actions of the winds of heaven that stir up uh, in the great sea in Daniel 7, uh, 2 through 8. Uh, violent cosmic quaking is typical theophany accounts in the Bible. It also recalls kind of First Enoch chapter 1, mm-hmm. uh, 4 through 6. So just, just touching on that there. Yeah, even looking at some, like to keep going on that thing, like, oh, some weird stuff that's out of place. When I was looking through on some comment, 
on, on some commentation. <laughs> when I was looking at the commentary, it was, uh, I'm going to read this paragraph because reading it direct, hopefully people understand. Go for it. Chapters 59 through 60 contain several literary disjunctions that indicate a displacement or an interpolation in the text, or both. So making the transposition of one block of text, I suggest that chapter 60, verses 11 through 23, has been displaced from its original location after 59, 1 through 3. So he's saying in the proper reading that that block of 60, 11 through 23 would have immediately followed 59, 1 through 3, mm-hmm. right? And then he said, as a result of the interpolation of the Noah throne vision about the flood as God's judgment, which is 60, 1 through 6, and then 60... Uh, 24 and 25, right? So it's taking ev- from after chapter 6 up to 23, seems like that got put in the wrong spot, which itself has been split apart by a secondary interpolation of 67 through 10 and 60, 24. So just kind of reconstructing what mm-hmm. got put in there. So when it's talking about that um, throne vision, it's kind of mm-hmm. like, oh, that threw everything off. Going back to the thing of this book seems edited yeah right and as they're pulling in these different sources and going through some of it does seem like does that fully make sense there they're finding a place for it and so it looks like there was an original narrative going on and that got placed in yeah there's some stuff that got a little wonky yeah so if that didn't make sense to anybody it's because you don't have the book of first enoch in front of you pull up the book rewind to what i just said read those sections in the order that i said and then you'll see what i'm talking about yeah I'm not going to do that on the podcast. It will take too long. <laughs> so just got to trust me that like, go read it the way it's written and then read it in the way that I just suggested. And you're like, oh, okay, I can see how that works. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, verse six of 60 is pretty fun because um, it talks about those who take his name in vain um, and the issue that they had there. The idea here uh, simplified is that representing God in an unworthy manner, bearing the name of his people in a way that... Uh, you know, doesn't show God's character and reputation. So uh, the reason why this sticks out is because we've been covering this a little bit in our own personal church and just kind of... Our own personal church. Our own personal one. Uh, But just doing like a dive into it uh, of the idea of like using God's name in vain, that it's not just like, you know, saying it frivolously like, oh, oh my or even in a harsher term, you know, cursing or just like, I swear to type things. But uh, Carmen Ime, she, she has fantastic work on bearing God's name and mm-hmm. what it really means. Uh, she wrote this, she said, uh, At Sinai, Yahweh selected Israel as his treasured possession, kingdom of priests, and holy nation. All three titles uh, designate Israel as Yahweh's official representatives, set apart to meditate his blessing to all nations, or mediate his blessing to all nations. By selecting the Israelites, Yahweh has claimed them as his own, in effect, branding them with his name as a claim of ownership. Um, and then she even goes into it more uh, with the idea of that when the priest gave the priestly blessing, uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you, may the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. May of God and his goodness be upon you. Uh, at the end of it, that kind of gets missed sometimes is the so that they will put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them mm-hmm. so that they would bear the name. So it's really just more the idea that uh, uh, we're bearing God's name, that we are representatives of God. And that when we don't live up to those standards, that's when we misuse it, or even in the idea of profane God's name. Yes, yes. I agree with those things. <laughs> so we've had several conversations about that, and I know that this one is on air. I don't have anything to add. I yeah. think that, that that quote and that explanation was great. Yeah. So even with the idea of profane God's name, there's a 
bunch of verses in Leviticus from 18 to like 22 that just talk about like, if you do this, you're going to profane God's name, so don't do it. Um, but then you see in Ezekiel uh, that it says that as for you people, this is what the sovereign Lord says, go and serve your idols, every one of you, but afterwards you will surely listen to me and no longer profane my holy name uh, with your gifts and idols. So even Ezekiel prophesying is saying like the way that the Israelites were profaning God's name was by worshiping other idols. Uh, and then they won't do that anymore. So that, that was kind of why judgment came to them. Right. So taking something when you profane something, I believe you can look at profane as being um, the opposite of holy, mm -hmm. right? So when you're looking at holy being set apart for God, and then you're going and being not set apart for God by giving yourself over to these other things, yeah. and you're profaning what's holy, right? Um, so yeah, kind of that thing of like, no, 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 God's name is on you. You're only for him. Mm -hmm. Like, why are you bringing this other stuff in this situation? So that's where profaning his name, like if you're bearing his name and then you're going and getting involved in these things, right? Yeah, it's like if you were to, uh, where it talks about keep your marriage holy. Mm -hmm. And if you go out and profane your marriage, you're going out and you can figure out what put, you're doing. Put two and two together. Yeah. The wink, wink <laughs> on, the, on the episode. <laughs> it's a bad wink, wink. Yeah. So, Stop that wink wink. Yeah, so I, I really want to touch on that because I feel <laughs> stop that wink wink. <laughs> I just like how quickly you immediately went away from that. <laughs> don't ever do that. Um, yeah, I just want to touch on the yeah. profane because I don't think we've actually covered it on the show and it was just a good point to like address that. Uh, but seven through nine. Check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Why choose the way up? Let me tell you with the way up, You'll never have to drive by that cursed mountain, drive into heavy rainfall, drive into the snow, drive on streets paved with cobblestone, drive by sacrificial altars, drive by the gateways to the underworld, drive by pagan temples, drive by the tombs of the Rephaim, with real time and a constantly updated GPS, the Way app will lead you exactly where you need to go and will make sure you get there safely. The Way app was built to transfigure the way you drive. Never be led in the wrong direction again. Choose the way. Seven through nine are fantastic because you get, I'm just going to read seven because it sets it up. On that day, there were two monsters parted, a female monster named Leviathan to dwell in the abysses of the ocean over the fountains of the waters. But the male is named Behemoth, who occupied his breast a waste wilderness named Dwaydin. On the east of the garden where the elect and righteous dwell, where my grandfather was taken up, the seventh from Adam, this is the verse you're talking about, mm -hmm. the first man whom the Lord of Spirits created. So, yeah, you got these two monsters, Leviathan and Behemoth. And I'm going to venture out to say here, these aren't dinosaurs. Yeah. So I have to apologize to anybody who sat in that Sunday evening class with me back when I was very new into ministry and I was <laughs> given this is an apologetics thing to teach. and I. Uh, because there's a lot of information out there on the internet about, well, what is Leviathan and Behemoth when you're looking at like, well, what's biblical proof for dinosaurs? And a lot of times these two guys get brought into that because mm -hmm. Behemoth is described as being this huge thing with like the tail the size of like a cedar tree and all this stuff. And 
uh yeah leviathan being this sea monster super scaly and all this like yeah dinosaurs i think i also have to apologize for when we covered the dinosaur question in our q a episode a long long time ago did you bring them up i think i did i let you do that yeah even after i knew i was wrong (laughs) yeah we were both wrong i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry to you and everyone (laughs) so we're here to correct the issue on every front from your mistake to my mistake to the mistakes to many mistakes it's honestly something that's out there because you need to have an understanding of just ancient near eastern thought when it comes to these monsters Mm -hmm. and uh i'm probably more versed when it comes to leviathan than i am behemoth but the same kind of thing applies to both but we've talked a lot about uh waters being the chaos Mm -hmm. right so you have leviathan being the monster who rules over the chaos and there's different um ancient traditions that would talk about leviathan even being involved in the creation like myths and different things that would go on there because there is the chaos going on so there's a chaos monster being involved and i'm not going to go fully into those but yeah leviathan as the chaos monster um to ancient peoples was like yeah it's the force to be reckoned with right there Mm -hmm. and behemoth is you know kind of along the same lines yeah and isn't it even uh is it bell or is it marduk that rides on them? That conquers the, mm. the, the sea monster to bring order to yeah. in there. So, so one of them do it. Uh, uh, I like Stephen DeYoung. He talks about the two beasts, and he draws uh, directly upon uh, ancient Near Eastern gods. He says the behemoth comes from the Hebrew word that means beast, ox, or cattle. Uh, so this would be the great beast, the great ox, the great bull, the bull of heaven. Mm-hmm. So that's really painting a picture of Baal. Uh, the most common form of idolatry practice in ancient Israel surrounded the bull or the calf imagery. Yeah, when you look at that bull and the calf, and even like uh, when you get into the Psalms and what Jesus was uh, quoting when he was on the cross about the bulls of Bashan, right? And you mm-hmm. look at Bashan was like a demonic area. Yeah, so yeah. you have like the bulls of Bashan. And yeah, so this giant bull, ox, like, yes, it's tied in. This is that that monster. This is that thing. Yeah, yeah. And then the Leviathan, he said, is an ancient demonic being derived from, by the way of Lotan. Um, from the Ugaritic Laitanu, hopefully I said that right. Tradition depicts it as a seven-headed sea serpent. Uh, it is the embodiment, like you said earlier, of chaos and destruction. And then he put Isaiah 27.1 with it. And he said, at that time, the Lord will punish with his uh, destructive, great, and powerful sword, uh, Leviathan, the fast-moving serpent. Leviathan, the squirming serpent, he will kill the sea monster. So uh, like we were talking about earlier, what it was like the ancient people are like, Bell destroyed the sea monsters. Isaiah saying, no, that, that, that God is the one who handles that. Yeah, and even within those, um, small note, when we're talking about ancient Near Eastern, if anybody's looking on like online stuff to mm-hmm. look up ancient Near Eastern, if you just see a capital A-N-E, that's what that stands for. A lot of times that's shorthanded. I just want to throw that in there because yeah. if you're looking at all this stuff, you're like, what is A-N-E? It's ancient Near Eastern. Yeah. It just kind of encapsulates all this thought. Even when you brought up Ugaritic and those types of things, mm-hmm. that's all thrown in there. Um, but when you look at how you were saying the biblical correction of things, like there isn't really much, like it's not that there's not much. There's no struggle between Yahweh, God, and these creatures. Yeah. Biblically speaking. Like, there's other struggles with these other gods doing a thing and just like everything that comes from that. But God really just like makes a fool of these creatures, really. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, I've, I've heard his head in my day. I've actually been Stephen Young that was talking about it. When he's talking about like Leviathan, he's like, yeah, he basically will like put him on a leash and it's like he's playing with like a little kitty. Like, there's yeah, yeah, just yeah. <laughs> like 
there's not really a power play going mm-hmm. on there. It's no God is God, and this is just a creation, a creature mm-hmm. that's there. Yeah, obviously, a monster in in its own right doing these things, but when it comes to it's all under God's control. Mm-hmm. Versus with these other ancient Near Eastern gods, it's like, oh, this is an epic battle and all this stuff. It's like, hmm, yeah, it's because your god's weak. Yeah, it's probably why God ended up in hell. <laughs> yeah, but it's another podcast. Yeah. Uh, oh no, it's not another podcast. We're in Enoch. Yeah, we're in Enoch. Yeah. In the pit. yeah, it's in this one. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, fourth Ezra. Uh, they say that uh, this uh, portion of Enoch draws from either Fourth Ezra or from not either, but from Fourth Ezra and Second Barak. Is that right? How you say his name? Baruch. Baruch. Yeah. Draws from second Baruch. I'm not, I'm, I'm not Jewish. I'm, I'm sure. Gonna, I know my name's Murdoch, but yeah. <laughs> it's not Baruch. Murdoch. Uh, then, uh, so Ezra says. That's the best you've ever said, my I name. know. <laughs> I took off the Hispanic roll of the R. Uh, he says, uh, then you kept in existence two living creatures, the name of one you called Behemoth and the name of the other Leviathan, and you separated one from the other uh, for the seventh part where the water had been gathered together, could not hold them both. And you gave Behemoth one of the parts which had been dried up on the third day to live in, where there are a thousand mountains. But to Leviathan, you have the seventh part, the watery part. You have kept them to be eaten by whom you wish and when you wish. Um, And then, so the other one is, uh, and Behemoth will reveal himself from its place, and Leviathan will come from the sea, the two great monsters which I have created on the fifth day of creation, and which I shall keep until that time. So, again, these are uh, those monsters that they're pulling from, that they're pulling from this text. And then uh, we even see Leviathan and Behemoth in Job. Uh, but yeah, in, in there, that's the main spot. That... The, yeah, that they're in, but in there they become dinner. Again, that this toying with, this playing with. Uh, but reading it, yeah, uh, and and I wrote this down when I read it. It just instantly in my mind it reminded me of Revelations thirteen, the beast, you, the beast of the sea, and the beast of the land. And again, we had a uh, Scott Mc, uh, McKnight on, and he would call them the wild things. That's mm-hmm. how he paints them in the in his book. Uh, but in Revelation thirteen, you have the beast of the sea, and uh, a lot of today's understanding is this beast of the sea is the empires of the world, uh, the empires of the day. Uh, so it's given power by the dragon, the world. Uh, the whole world follows the beast. Uh, he opens his mouth to blaspheme God and slander him. He's given power to make war against a saint. He's given authority over every people, tribe, language, and nations. That sounds very empire to me. I don't know if that doesn't sound like that to anyone else, but... Chaos rules the empire. Chaos rules the empire. Ah, that's another good, like... Band? Yeah, or yeah. album? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the animal apocalypse, chaos rules the empire. <laughs> I'm telling you, somebody <laughs> release it. Yeah, uh, the beast of the land is the false prophet. Uh, prophets, uh, he's exercised all authority uh, of the first beast on his behalf. He performs great miraculous signs. He deceives the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up images in the honor of the beast. So uh, it just really drew me into... Revelation 13, looking at these two figures and, and just kind of putting it together that you see uh, this, that eventually even that these beasts are conquered and slain, which you see in Isaiah, you know, it's just slain with his sword of his mouth that he's conquered. Yeah. You have anything else on those wild things? No. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've covered them. <laughs> Put a little chapter section in where the wild things are. Yeah. We found them. We found them. There they are. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of the rest of 60, it does a really interesting thing when looking at it. Again, it gets into this thing of, the thunders and the lightnings and how that all goes. He's, it's weird. 
And it says, the thunder and the lightning are inseparable, and although they're not one and undivided, they both go together through the spirit and separate not. And it's just like, that's oddly specific. Mm-hmm. But when he's talking about thunder and lightning, but then he goes on to talk about these other things that are going on. It says, the spirit of the sea is masculine and strong. Um, it says, the spirit of the oarfrost is his own angel, and the spirit of hail is a good angel. The spirit of snow forsaken his chamber on account of his strength. There's a special spirit therein, and that which ascends from it is like smoke, and its name is frost. So we're talking about the Lord of Spirits. It's even an interesting thing, and going back to this thing of he's seeing all of these natural things that just seem to be like frost, snow, mist, the spirit of dew, right? And uh, one of them has its own special chamber because of like, oh, there's the clouds and winter and summer, but it's all being related spiritual, yeah. spiritually. So again, that just keeps coming into, for me, that idea of the Lord of Spirits. I was like, oh, there's spiritual forces behind all of this. Mm. And I don't know. For me, that was the main thing there because it was like, I, okay, there's a spirit of the mist. Um, what do I do with that? Mm-hmm. Other than, yes, the spiritual reality of the physical world that I live in, what's driving all of it? Mm. And that's where I get to. It's the Lord of Spirits. Yeah. Yeah. That he's over all. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I really like the way that's put. That made me understand that concept way more than a commentary. Yeah, because we can look at, oh, spirits, and Mm -hmm. so much of it is like, oh, well, human spirits. Yes, he's lord over the human spirits. But Yeah, that's, I think, how I described it when we went over it, yeah. And that's true, but when you get Enoch, his favorite thing to say is the lord of spirits, and then he's using this term spirit for all of these other things. Yeah. So it's just like, no, he's the lord of of spirits. Of all these things. Yeah. Yeah. And even over those uh, chaos spirits that come out, that Mm -hmm. he is lord over those things as well, which is why he subdues them so easily. Yep. Yeah. All right, 61. Go for it. Lead us in. 61. I, I don't have much on... <laughs> a deep breath before that one. <laughs> I don't have much on like the, the like verses and stuff. I just like there's covers um, uh, the cherubim, the seraphim, mm-hmm. and then that last one. Uh, starts with O. Where'd it go? Yeah. I'm going to let you pronounce it. I always call that the uh, Ophanin. Ophanin. Sure. It's O-P-H-A-N-N-I-N. So we'll go with what you said. Because P-H tends to make an F sound. It does. Offening, opening, uh, but that guy. It's like these three uh, different types of uh, heavenly figures mm-hmm. that he that he uh, reaches. So the cherubim in the Old Testament, you see them in Exodus, uh, Ezekiel, and um, and Michael Heiser, like in his commentary on this, he he specifically wants it put there that the cherubim are not angels. The Hebrew term from which that means messenger. Uh, the Hebrew term translated cherubim derives from Akkadian and refers instead to a guardian or a sacred space. So, like, he wants that really clear. Which, yeah. which, a throne room guardian. Yeah. Uh, so the cherubim are placed at the boundary between the sacred and the profane to protect the holy from the contaminated. So that's kind of the way he sums up what they are in his commentary on it, uh, which I, I really like. We read some of these things, like the cherubim, uh, imagery and stuff like that, but I, I never put two and two together of that concept of that they're there to protect what's sacred and the profane to to keep what's holy from being contaminated by the unholy thing. Um, so I, it you know being guardian idea. I know uh, Eastern Orthodox they have the concept of a everyone has a guardian angel. Yeah. Um, so it just makes me wonder if these things are more of that. They're like they're in our lives 
you know, even within ourselves, trying to keep us from uh, being contaminated in a sense. But that's all Chris thinking off the cuff. Uh, the seraphim, uh, they're in the Old Testament, Isaiah 6, Isaiah 6 1 through 6. Uh, the heavenly creatures are also guardians of the sacred space. Uh, the, like, the term is likely drawn from uh, Egyptian. Uh, Michael Heiser notes uh, in his commentary, as I noted in the unseen realm, which if you don't have it, get it. It is, that's not in his commentary. That's just me saying by the book. It is more likely that the seraphim derives from the Hebrew noun uh, to mean serpent, which is, uh, which in turn is drawn from Egyptian throne guardian terminology and concepts. Uh, so as recent research demonstrates, the Egyptian Uraeus serpent drawn, drawn from two species of Egyptian cobras fits all the elements of the supernatural seraphim who attends Yahweh's holy presence in Isaiah 6. The relevant cobra species spits burning venom, uh, mm -hmm. can expand uh, wide flanges of skin, uh, his phalanges uh, of skin on either side of the body, considered wings in antiquity when threatened, and are obviously, you know, serpents. Yeah, so that part, when they're talking about like winged serpents mm -hmm. and stuff, it's talking about that when you think of that. What's this? The viper? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, cobra. Yeah, cobra. Where mm -hmm. it has that big hood yeah. that, that yeah. comes, out, comes out. Talking about a winged snake. Mm -hmm. So, again, one of those things that maybe in you're reading an ancient document, you're like, winged snakes? Mm -hmm. What is this? It's like, that's what they're talking about is wings. Yeah. Sorry, I was just interjecting that no, to that, really that was, highlight yeah, that. Yeah, that was yeah. good. Yeah, I'm glad you did. Uh, there was another thing that he made mention in here, and I think it's in this uh, chapter that he talked about uh, that the. Uh, angels went and grabbed their wings and and took off. Um, that uh, Heiser was really on the idea of like angels don't have wings. Like you don't read that anywhere in the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, what what he's saying is that they take these two uh, ideas of the seraphim and an angel and kind of combine them. That concept of wings on them. Aren't there those that have three pairs of wings? Yeah, but they're the. Isn't it for covering the eyes? Yeah, but they have wings. But I think those aren't angels. I don't know if he was saying that those are the seraphim. He okay. has something in there about that, but again, even yeah. with me off the top of my head, I'm just like, no, we call those angels. Yeah, but yeah, they have the three pairs to where two cover their face, two cover their feet, and then two are used. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then there's the the last one, uh, the ophinin. The term means wheels, uh, specifically in the wheels associated with the divine throne chariot vision in Ezekiel one. Uh, so the uh, the angels of power and all the angel principalities, that next portion in there, the two terms here are Ethiopic equivalents of Greek word power, um, so lords and dominions, and that these two Greek terms are paired in the New Testament uh, in Ephesians 21.21 and Colossians 1.6. They sure are. Uh, Paul mentions, uh, so this is the background for Paul's material that they're saying, like Enoch, 1 Enoch 62, um, that... In the present passage, though, the heavenly beings are not evil. They are part of the choirs uh, praising the Lord of Spirits and the elect one. So I'll read Ephesians 1.21. It says, Far above every rule and authority and power, dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. So that's drawing from the same word. And then uh, Colossians 1.15 through 6. He is the name of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For all things in heaven and on earth were created by him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones, dominions, whether principalities or power, all things were created through him and for him. So a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. And when you're talking about that, these ones seem good. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if you've, it, it tends to be popularized, especially in 
Oh, maybe you would because you can pull out your charismatic card again. <laughs> it's a spiritual warfare language. And that mm-hmm. so much of what gets used is more of a ranking language to where when you see something like all the angels of power and the angels of principalities, right? And when you're looking at those things, it's more of like a ranking. Not like, yeah. oh, here's the angels of power and all of those ones like then fell or something when it comes to Paul talking about, hey, no powers of principalities and everything. It's more of just like, here's the, the the ranking, so to speak, of, no, here's like this, here's this type, here's this rank, as far as a spiritual being goes, like, here's where they fall into that hierarchy, and yes, some of those ones falling away, mm-hmm. and do we get the full details on all of that? I no, I think that even reading through Enoch, when we're getting kind of getting some of the details about Watchers and these other things, it's just like... There's a whole lot going on in that spiritual realm. Mm-hmm. That even when you're saying, yeah, Paul is using this for some of his source materials, like, yeah. But <laughs> like how he's tying that into it's like, there's a lot to study in the Bible. There is. And there's a lot to study in Enoch 62. Yeah. All right. Uh, so there's verse 14. They will eat the imagery of the great eschatological meal with uh, the resurrected, exalted believers. So that's what it's kind of painting there, this eschatological meal. Uh, it also kind of this meal with God that feeds into uh, the idea of the Lord's Supper and the marriage supper of the Lamb, uh, which I thought was really cool that this this is kind of that concept playing into there. Uh, and then verse 6, garments of glory, this is the metaphor of clothing, uh, is designed to communicate the transformation of resurrection, so they're changing into glory of garments of glory. Uh, Hoon Kim put it this way, the garments of glory or life, uh, which the righteous will wear in First Enoch, symbolizes the heavenly body which they will possess from the day of judgment onward. It will be a glorious body which will resemble the appearance of God, the great glory, and its outstanding characteristics uh, will be immortality. Yeah, so looking at those garments, again, the language behind that, and you get Paul talking about like, oh, this earthly tent and this tabernacle that's, that's perishable. What's sown perishable will be raised imperishable. So that's the language that's coming in here is like, oh, the garments that are given. I think that that even goes into the thing of even though I've talked on the podcast about like, I'm getting ready to wear all white right now. I'm getting shoes and different stuff. When it's talking about like, oh, the all white robes and different things. Like, yeah, maybe we wear all white and that's just like, that's the dress code, (laughs) you know, in the world to come. But I think that definitely that is more of the, um, the like, quote unquote, what you're wearing is like your, how did Jesus phrase it? It immediately, like it just went out of my brain. Which part? It's like the body that you have. It's the the glorified body. The transformation. Yeah, yeah. 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 The putting on of the clothes isn't like, yeah, it's clothes. It's the new body and what signifies that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not like a a wardrobe change of any sense. That like, oh, here's, uh, now that you're in heaven, here's your white robe and set of wings type thing. It's like a a new body and transformation into something else. So the angels don't have wings, but I get wings, right? Theoretically, I think that's the way it went. (laughs) Depending on what denomination you're 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 believing, yeah, because I've seen those little cherubs, yeah. those yeah. cute little baby cherubs. Mm-hmm. They have wings. I mean, we've seen and it bows on, and arrows. We've and... seen it on TV. I just instantly think <laughs> I don't know why I think Tom and Jerry. Maybe because I saw Tom die more than anything else growing up. Yeah, but you know, he's like died. Spirit starts gets floating away. He yeah. gets a harp and wings and a little halo around his head, and boom, goes into the the pearly gates. Uh, and that's where we get our theology. That is where we got our <laughs> theology on heaven, is Tom and Jerry and what happens. But yeah, uh, a lot of this, though, uh, and, and the reason why I brought up some of this parable, it, to me, I kind of looked at it slightly different, uh, because this parable almost, uh, 
there's a lot in it that feeds into our already understandings of what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not like this is taking uh, something that's different. And, and it's this parable that actually brings the most um, contradiction into the book of Enoch, that where people question it the most. Uh, this is where Enoch proclaims himself as the son of man type thing. Uh, the confusion with Enoch's vision and the 500 years lived uh, raises a lot of questions. But again, just translation could have... Mm-hmm. been an issue there. But uh, for the majority of it, you see uh, beats of already biblical knowledge that is uh, known by the time of the Second Temple, uh, of what they know of the, I guess, the Old Testament. Uh, and then you see uh, New Testament writers pulling from this resource and saying, this is where we're getting our philosophy, what we already know of Jesus. And it's not like they're taking this and learning who Jesus is and where his placement is. Uh, because by the time the New Testament comes, they know who Jesus is and uh, where his place is, uh, but they're pulling from this and putting that together uh, to develop these deeper concepts, like you said, of principalities, of spiritual beings, of chaos, of spirits. Um, and, and so looking at this parable, I really enjoyed that aspect of it for myself, just to kind of wrap up this episode. Yeah, Um I know that you looking at this thing of 62, you're bringing, oh, Enoch, son of man, and some of that that's coming from it and everything else that you just said as well. I wanted to pull out, because we said in the beginning that this parable being about, oh, for the righteous and the elect and what happens there. And we also said that there's a a big thing about judgment that comes Mm -hmm. in. And 62 really is a judgment situation going on. Again, the way that it phrases that, talking about bringing up the kings and the mighty and the exalted, and kind of those ones being brought out. Um, but I wanted to read a couple verses. It says, And there shall stand up in that day all the kings and the mighty, and the exalted, and those who hold the earth, and they shall see and recognize how he sits on the throne of his glory, and righteousness is judged before him, and no lying word is spoken before him. So it's like, here's throne room judgment situation yeah. going on here. God is on the throne. The elect one is on the throne. Jesus is right there. And here, here are these ones that committed evils and atrocities on the earth. It goes on to say, Then shall pain come upon them as on a woman in travail, and she has pain in bringing forth when her child enters the mouth of the womb, and she has pain in bringing forth. And one portion of them shall look on the other, and they shall be terrified, and they shall be downcast of countenance, and pain shall seize them when they see that Son of Man sitting on the throne of his glory." And just that imagery there of like what happens when terror comes on them Mm -hmm. is the same as pregnancy and then just like the birth is happening. And that's what I was talking earlier about in James because said, hey, don't let any of you when you're saying that you're getting tempted, it's coming from God. It all comes from your own thoughts and you get carried Mm -hmm. away from that. And when that fully gives birth, it gives birth to sin and sin brings forth death. Mm. And it's like, what is death really? And when you're looking at death as separation and separation from God, and that's where I was really tying this in and what that brought to mind for me here is that those who are opposed to God and continue to be opposed to God throughout their whole life, they do not turn in repentance and they continue to work acts of evil and wickedness is like what that looks like for them is like a pregnancy, right? It's not like you can do those things and not have the end result. And it might look like, oh, here on this earth, that baby of sin and death never came through. But here it is happening mm. in the judgment. And here it is. There's like, just like that pregnancy is like, well, now it's time for the baby to come yeah. out. 
It's just like now is the time for that judgment that they might have thought was not going to happen. As like when they realize that that's happening and it sets in and they it says that they look to each other and they're just terrified. And again, that's that thing of like judgment is terrifying for those who do not want God. They mm-hmm. do not want his goodness. And we can get in the whole thing where we talked before about hell being like locked from the inside that this is a judgment for people who are just like, no, I am refusing this. But when it comes down to that time of just like, here it's happening. Man, I, I hear so much stuff today of like, no, I'm I'm gonna stand there and I'm gonna tell God something. It's like, no. Yeah. This is what it looks like. Just terrified. Yeah. And me reading this, like, that's a scary thing for me. It's just like what a weird thing. It's like, oh just like a baby coming out. Like mm-hmm. it's gonna happen, you're gonna be terrified. But me reading that section, for anybody that wants to go read this, it's again chapter sixty two, just the first few verses up to like six. Like, oh, what a simple yet terrifying way of saying like the guaranteedness of how this is gonna happen. Yeah. I kind of thought, too, of uh, Psalms, oh gosh, it's 72 or 73, the Psalm of Asaph, where he's like, look at the wicked, mm-hmm. nothing's happening to them, mm-hmm. everything's going good in their life, they they don't pay for their evil deeds here on this earth, um, and eventually he's like, then he focuses on himself, or I think it's the other way, he focuses on himself, like this pity party, Yeah. and then it's like, look at the wicked and all this stuff that's happening to them, uh, there's no punishment, there's no judgment for them. And then, you know, eventually focuses on God and God's like, there's judgments coming for them. Uh, and and I, I believe this is like at the heart of uh, a lot of people's struggles with God is why does the wicked go unpunished? Why do the corrupt people uh, keep being corrupt without nothing happening to them in this life? Um, and here you could see Enoch and even James is painting that picture of they're, they're pregnant. And inside of them is that the, the birth of what they give is their punishment and their death, it, which is why that follow-up of 14. So all that you read was before 14. That's why it's so amazing that the righteous, what do they get? They get that meal with God, that that time mm-hmm. with God. When you're having a meal with God, that's uh, fellowship, that's connection, that's in his presence. Uh, and then not only that, but they get this new body, this new shape, this new form that uh, isn't anything about them, but reflects the glory of God. Yeah, and having that meal, because you get in Revelation as well, is that meal follows the judgment. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, no, righteousness has been done. Victory has happened. Here is it's a celebration meal. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now there is truly peace. This is why, like, this parable seems odd that, like, wait, it's about the righteous and what they'll get, uh, the reward. Uh, but the reward doesn't look as good if you don't see, like, the victory of the reward, like, or, like, the opposite end of it. Then it's like... Oh, that is so great. And in saying that, to see what that looks like, I think I'm pretty sure I've brought it up several times, is that in my mind, I can want to shape what that should look like, Mm -hmm. right? Like, no, what it should look like is God just overruling all of those wicked people and making this judgment not look like this. Yeah. Like, this is where I need to be able to submit. And again, this is Enoch, but you can find it biblically as well. It's like, no, this is just how it's going to go down. And trust that God in his judgment and how all of these dealings work out is just like, this is what that looks like. Mm-hmm. My ideals are what I think could or should or whatever happen. And just like, I need to submit that my thinking is wrong in those ways, right? Yeah. And see what that comes down to. Because, yeah, I don't think I have anything else. Yeah, neither do I. But, I mean, I do because we got way more chapters to cover. The, right. No, I mean, next I don't week, have anything we, else for right now. Next week, we got to cover, uh, looks like 20 chapters. I think it's doable since we've covered like five today. 
but I mean, there's just a lot in this beginning chapter 60s. But I, I, there's a lot. It's a lot easier to go through the next portion. And the astronomical thing, uh, to me, is uh, better kind of looked at overviewed than trying to yeah kind of piece it together verse by verse. So uh, I don't think it'll take us that long. But yeah. <laughs> that is your famous last <laughs> words for everything. I don't think it'd take us that long. 700 episodes later. Never going to uh, get to Luke. Never going to get to Luke. Shepard uh, of Hermes, yeah. We're, we're just going to cut that completely. Yeah. I mean, we might just because it's it's long. But no, we'll, we'll cover it. Shepard of Hermas will get more of the overviewed uh, glances, hopefully. Uh, but I'm going to end this one. End it. All right. I'm Chris. I'm Mirde. We are your church friends. Thanks for listening. Excluded books of the Bible.